Hey, welcome to the Hopecast. This is the weekly sermon upload for Hope Church RC in Western North Carolina. This week we're looking at Matthew chapter 1 verses 18 through 25 during this fourth week of Advent. And we're focusing on love this week. And then we're taking a picture or taking a look at the picture of the love that God has for us and also the love that uh, Joseph exhibited for Mary and uh, how we can talk about how we can maybe exhibit this in our own lives. But hope that it's a blessing and encouragement to you. Enjoy. Going to our uh, Advent reading now. Jaden's going to read from us from uh, Matthew chapter 1 today. See the virgin, what's that? Virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated. God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. So we uh, we celebrate uh, Advent today, and we're going to talk about love, okay? Um, and I was thinking uh, yesterday, uh, and, and really all this week, but about Advent, right? So it's nothing that I celebrated growing up. It wasn't anything that was part of our, you know, religious tradition. Um, but as an adult, I found it has helped me to focus on different parts of Christmas kind of one at a time to kind of pull them out in isolation and think about hope, to think about peace and joy and this week love, right? And uh, so it's been super helpful for me and hopefully it has been for you. But today we're talking about love and um, I was trying to think about, you know, what is love? And I'm going to ask you what love is to some of you here in a moment. So go ahead and be thinking about that. So, but to me, love is putting others' needs ahead of your own. Um, one of the things it looks like to me is uh, fixing my own plate last when I'm making supper. Make sure everybody has, if I'm the one fixing plates, and Mary does this too, we always fix our own plate last, fix all the kids, then, then our spouse, and then um, the others. Um, it's overlooking wrongdoings, like when your son is... Uh, kind of acting a fool right now and standing up in a chair when he really shouldn't be out of the corner of my eye and I can see it, but I'm trying very hard to overlook it because I love him and I don't want to show out here in front of everybody, okay? So um, to me, that's that's just a couple things that love is. It's way, way more than that, right? Well, humans have spent our whole existence trying to de- to define it and really talk about it, but I want to give you an opportunity. What are some? What's something that defines or describes or illustrates love for you. Okay, sacrifice. Like in what in what way? In a specific way or just Yeah, okay. Time and money, energy. Man. Oh, that's a big one. The, the older I get, the less and less of that I have. Right? Yes, ma'am. What's what's love for you? No, change your mind. Okay, that's cool. Anybody else? You have an actual answer? Okay. All right. Anybody else? Okay. All right. Sacrifice is a big one. Right. All of our parents probably we could 
point in some way that they sacrificed for us when we were younger, uh, or even now, right? My, my parents and, and and Mary's parents, we couldn't do <laughs> our life without them. I wouldn't want to. We could. It would be even a hotter mess than it is right now, right? Um, we really could not do. They sacrificed tremendously to help us and help help our kids. Anyone else? All right. So love is. Um, something that is hard to describe, right? Most of the time we can't, it's hard to put words around. Like we know it's emotional. We can only just kind of know it when we see it. It's not, you know, it's just not easy to, to put into words necessarily. Well, this week we're looking at love and I think, uh, Shannon's words of sacrifice and, uh, giving of yourself, giving of your time, uh, and, and that sort of stuff goes, directly in line with the love that we're going to talk about uh, this week. So we'll be looking in Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. And uh, this the heading of this is called the Nativity of the Messiah. So Matthew chapter 1 is starting in verse 18. The birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. So her husband, Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. And when Joseph woke up, he did as the Lord's angel had commanded him. He married her, but did not have sexual relations with her until she gave birth to a son, and he named him Jesus. (coughs) Excuse me. Father, thank you so much for your word. Um, I pray you just help us as we look into it. Uh, you would show us, uh, help us to, to see the love that you have for us, uh, but also a picture of that, uh, of Joseph, uh, through Mary that you showed to him, uh, that he uh, was able to, to walk through, uh, lean into as he walked through this relationship. Thank you so much for everything. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, background to this. We're in the first chapter of what is now known to us as the New Testament, okay? Some 400 years had passed since the last writings of the prophets in the Old Testament, Zechariah, Malachi, right? Some 400 years have gone and, and there seemed to be no word from God. Israel had been at points in its, in its past thrown into exile, taken from their home in Jerusalem to faraway places, and they were able to come back. Right, they were kind of trying to figure out their identity and who they were, trying to rediscover that. And God seemed to be silent. And the people were waiting, much like we have been talking about waiting in anticipation. And Matthew opens with a genealogy that begins with Abraham and goes through 42 generations in total, leading all the way up to Joseph, the father, the earthly father of Jesus. And I want to take just a quick moment to notice some of the people who were listed, right? 
So this is a genealogy. It basically says this person was this person's father, was this person's father, was this person's father, on and on and on and on, okay? But in Matthew's genealogy, which is mostly uh, male-dominated, male-oriented, right? Because that's, you know, the patriarchy is is the, 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 that's how you list the genealogies. But listed in him, uh, listed among these were five women, four of whom, um, either had kind of were involved in a questionable situation or, or maybe had questionable character at some point themselves. Okay. Uh, and this was taken from, uh, heritagechurch.org, which I found, um, just a brief description of some of these women. Tamar was a Gentile widow who veiled herself as a prostitute and seduced her father-in-law. Perez was one of the twin boys born from that relationship. And he was the ancestor to Salmon. I want to say Salmon. That's what it looks like, but I don't, I don't think it's pronounced that way. But Salmon married Rahab. Rahab was a Canaanite woman who was a prostitute in Jericho. And Rahab hid the spies that Joshua had sent in to test Jericho's military strength. And in return, the Israelites spared her life. And eventually, Rahab married Salmon, who gave birth to Boaz, a Jewish boy who would marry a woman named Ruth, who was a Moabite woman, not a Jewish person, not a Jewish lady. But she married a Jewish man who died at a young age. And her mother-in-law, Naomi, lived in Moab until her husband died, and then she decided to move back to Israel to be with her family, and Ruth chose to stay with Naomi. And during that time, God arranged for Ruth to marry Boaz, and out of that relationship came Obed, the grandfather of David. And David, one thing we hear about him is he was a man after God's own heart. But infamously, he also had an affair with a woman named Bathsheba, who was the wife of one of his... uh and one of his army members named Uriah the Hittite. And David arranged for Uriah to be killed in battle so that he could hide the affair that he had had. And then he married her. And Bathsheba gave birth to Solomon, who continued the genealogy and the royal line of the Messiah down to Jesus, who was born to Mary, who was a devout woman of God, pure, chaste, respectful, God graced Mary by selecting her to be the woman through whom the Savior would be born. And Mary said, let it be unto me according to thy word. So I think it's great to notice in this genealogy that, yes, we have some mighty uh, men who followed God, but we also had women who found themselves in difficult or desperate situations and they continued to be faithful, and they were recognized because of it here. Okay, And as a man, I've heard so much about what it means to be like a man of God or to live according to a picture of biblical manhood. And, and I believe it's important that I myself try to live with integrity as a creation of God. Uh, but we put, we've placed way more of an emphasis on manhood and, and manliness in the evangelical church than we should, I believe. Women have been as much, if not more, instrumental in the faith, and yet in some circles they are minimized in places secondary. They're relegated to secondary status. And if women choose to be like a stay-at-home mom, 
I applaud that. I honor that. No matter what you choose, the point is the choice is yours. You choose a career. You choose to be a stay-at-home mom. Those are both uh, great aspirations, right? Um, and, and I'm not trying to go off on the tangent because the focus of our passage today is about love. I've just been really pondering my role as a man in the church and how I believe it's been way overblown. And I'm trying to, to kind of step back from that and trying to honor women where that honor is due. The focus of our passage today, though, is about love. And this is a picture, I believe, of true love. Sacrifice that we talked about earlier. Um, putting others' needs ahead of your own. It's true love that seeks the truth, that believes and hopes for the best. Now, Joseph was a righteous man. He kept the law of Moses as best he could, all 613 commands. Now, he probably wasn't perfect because no one is. But he loved the Lord and he had excellent character. And he hears of his fiancée's pregnancy when it says it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant of the Holy Spirit. And he had to be very torn about this. And we see this in the the passage because, and you may have heard this before, marriage during this time kind of consisted of two stages, right? They had the betrothal where two were pledged to be married to one another. And then was the actual like marriage where you started living together and doing life together. Kind of like we have an engagement stage today and then marriage. But unlike uh, our engagement process, the betrothal was actually a legally binding uh, relationship, part of the relationship. So, uh, so much so that um, the two were considered to already be married during this betrothal or engagement process, and breaking it required a certificate of divorce. So if the relationship were to be ended before they came to live together and, and lived their lives as married people in one house, started raising a family, if it ended before that stage, it was it was no different than if it ended after it had got to that stage, right? Whether you were betrothed or married for 10 years, it was the same uh, level of divorce, right? Same thing. So this pregnancy was a big deal, right? Joseph was a righteous observer of the law and logically would know, this baby is not mine. I have abstained. I have not, um, we have not had sexual relations. And so I know that this is not my baby. So there has to be one logical explanation. His wife had been unfaithful. Now we have the fortune to know the whole story, but he only had her word to go on. And no matter how faithful we are, it's hard to accept something as miraculous, right? Especially like this. Um, All of Israel was waiting for the Messiah, and while this child would be the one who would save his people from their sins, his beginnings were questionable. I mean, if I had a large sum of money suddenly appear, and I claimed that the Holy Spirit gave it to me, you would be skeptical, right? Yeah, okay, yeah, sure, Steve, the Holy Spirit gave you that money, but but really, really, where did it come from, right? Um. It, w- it would not be, it would not be very believable. It's just the way it is. Right? And, and probably many people had already been talking about Mary. 
News travels fast, especially when it's scandalous. And so because Joseph was a good man, the Bible says he had in mind to divorce her quietly. He could have brought it to the attention of the religious leaders and according to the law of Moses had her stoned to death. It could have been a death sentence for her if he chose that. But it says because he was a righteous man, I believe because he was loving and caring and a compassionate guy in general, he said, I'm just going to to divorce her quietly. She would get to live at least, although she would likely never marry or be considered for marriage. Her family would be shamed. She might have to resort to begging or prostitution to care for her, for her child. And I'm afraid that over the years, the familiarity of this story may have made it too smooth and easy to gloss over that. Oh yeah, he was going to divorce her quietly because he was a good guy. But what it actually meant was not an easy life for her at all. Imagine the anguish that the person that you had pledged yourself to appeared to have been unfaithful. Even thinking about that possibility makes, makes my heart sink, right? How long did he go back and forth in his heart? How deep was his hurt? How deep was his sorrow? He had been betrayed. And not only that, but the thought of what the future held for Mary, death or destitution, even if I do the more compassionate thing and divorce her quietly, I know it won't be an easy life for her. And the truth of the matter is, God's plan is never the shiny, easy path that glimmers in the distance and is, and is plain to see and easy to accept. It's never been my experience. It requires deep faith and trust, questioning what we know or what we thought we knew. He never promises any of us or Joseph a life of ease and comfort, and we can look to the history of the church and see how many were martyred for their faith, how many suffered. And now we have con artists like Jesse Duplantis, Kenny Copeland, Jane Whaley, even here in our own county, and many others claiming the exact opposite, bragging about how their jewelry costs more than their house, and that it was because of their faith. And if you have faith, your life is easy. That's never been my experience. True faith makes us question ourselves, I believe. Did I really understand what I thought I understood? Am I really doing the right thing? And it's not always clear in the moment or even in the following weeks and years. It may take us a long time of contemplating to figure out if we did what we should have done. And in Joseph's case, it was an extremely difficult decision. But thankfully, God intervened and He helped to make the right decision. I wish in every hard decision that I ever had to make that an angel would appear to me and say, hey, do this. Don't do that. Do this over here. But this just doesn't happen all that often. So sometimes we just kind of go and do the best we can. But he was visited by an angel of the Lord in a dream, much like we see uh, the angel visiting Mary in Luke's gospel to tell her what was going to happen. And the angel assured him that Mary was innocent and that the child was the Son of God and that he should take Mary home to be his wife and name the child Jesus because he would save his people from their sins. And we see in the verses that follow that this is a fulfillment of the prophecy made in Isaiah that the virgin would conceive and the child would be named Emmanuel, God with us. Imagine God Stepping down out of heaven 
to become like us, to become one of us. But Joseph's acceptance wasn't easy or neatly packaged. It would throw him into a situation filled with people whispering behind his back. Hey, did you hear about Mary? I mean, I know what she said. Holy Spirit, yeah. Seems about right. And then Joseph, what a fool for taking her in anyways. It called him into a messy situation that he didn't create. He wasn't responsible for this, but he was called to be involved. My favorite author, Debbie Thomas, puts it this way in her essay on this passage. She says, In choosing Joseph to be Jesus' earthly father, God led a righteous man with an impeccable reputation straight into doubt, shame, scandal, and controversy. God's call required Joseph to reorder everything he thought he knew about fairness and justice, goodness and purity. It required him to become the talk of the town and not in a good way. It required him to embrace, to embrace a mess he had not created, to love a woman whose story he didn't understand, to protect a baby he didn't father, to accept an heir who was not his son. In other words, God's messy plan of salvation required Joseph, a quiet, cautious, status quo kind of guy, to choose precisely what he feared and dreaded most, the fraught, the complicated, the suspicious, and the inexplicable. So much for living a well-ordered life. And I resonate with that. That resonates with me because I like when life is great, when it's smooth sailing, when everyone's at peace, which in a house of four children hardly ever seems to happen until they're all in bed. And then that's why we're so, so adamant about bedtimes. It's not because you need to sleep. It's because I need a break. Okay. You need to go to bed right now. <laughs> but this helps me to connect with Joseph because I've been there questioning God's plan, wondering, is it really the right thing? Did we really do the right thing? Am I the right person to be this child's dad? And I think many of us who follow God come to the points like this in our lives that we're unsure about if what we're doing or about to do is the right thing. It's hard to see His plan. And even when we may get a glimpse of it, it seems to go against our ideas of self-preservation, right? We want to protect ourselves. We want to make sure that we can continue to go to work and provide for ourselves, for our family. It's hard to see past our privilege, to see the needs of those around us, the people that God is calling us to advocate for, the poor, the outcast, the orphan, the widow. But that's what He does. He calls us to step out into uncertainty so that we have to rely on Him. And rather than being evil or binding in some way, it's actually freeing. It's lovely to depend on God for direction, for His validation, and not knowing what the next step is. It's kind of like uh, in that scene in Indiana Jones where there uh, was the last crusade and they're looking for, uh, was it the goblet that Jesus would have drank out of? And he has to go through the different little tests, right? The penitent man will pass and those with faith will see God. And, and he comes to this great chasm and it looks like there's no way across there actually is. It just blends in with everything. You can't see it. So he takes some like gravel and dust and throws it down and, you know, he can see the path there, right? Sometimes life kind of feels that way. Like, God, 
You're asking me to get across this chasm. I don't know how to do it. You're just going to have to do it. And, and I'll, I'll do whatever you want me to do. But Joseph demonstrated his love for God and for Mary by taking her to be his wife. He could have made his own life easier. And many people probably thought he was a fool for staying. But he loved her. So he did the uneasy. He did the messy thing that he was called to do. To be the father of the Messiah. And talk about some pressure. I can't imagine what it would be like to raise Jesus. Right? Anytime that, you know, I mean, he was a toddler, right? He had to do things that, unless he just wasn't, right? He, he, he may not have been your typical toddler. Um, who were like little dictators, right? They just, ah, if anything's wrong, give them the wrong color cup or the, you know, the, the, their macaroni's too hot or too cold or whatever. They're just raised cane, right? Maybe he wasn't like that. And it made me think, you know, did Mary cry when she had trouble feeding him, like many mothers I know do now, when he couldn't figure out how it all worked as a as a as a newborn? Or when she was just sore from it all? What was it like giving birth without a modern day hospital or medical care? And am I a man who has never experienced this first or even second hand? Am I qualified to even talk about something as sacred? as Jesus' birth, much less, or, or am, I, am I qualified enough to talk about any birth, much less the sacred birth of the Messiah? Was the scandal of the birth of God as much in the cries of a young mother as it was in the cries of the young Messiah? And acknowledging this reality that it wasn't easy, it wasn't clean, it wasn't uncomplicated helps me to connect even more with it because my life is none of those things. Most of our lives are none of those things. Because God is not sanitized. He's not easy. He's not safe. But He is loving and He's good. Imagine a God so big that He could create the universe with a thought, would orchestrate billions of years of creation, and yet so caring that He would want me to know Him. He could have done it all and walked away. But He wanted me to know Him. He wanted to know that I... He wanted to know me. And He would be willing to humble Himself for it and to take on human form, to know our sorrows and frustration, to know our pain. And in spite of His humanity, to face adversity perfectly, to never sin, to never break the commands of God. And He was the only one that did it because He was God. This is the demonstration of love that we celebrate today. Not only Joseph loved Him being caring and self-sacrificing, walking into impossible situations, but the love of Christ that He would come to know us, to know what our life is like, to experience it, and then to go on and sacrifice Himself so that we could have this relationship with God, so that we could have the forgiveness of our sins. And though God could have chosen any genealogy for Jesus, He chose one that's filled with scandal, with people who are struggling to make the right decision, 
who seem to make the wrong decision as often as they made the right one. And this is strangely comforting because I'm a mess most of the time. No matter how well I clean up or how put together it looks on the outside, I know the real me, the anxiety, the doubt, the anger, the frustration. And it comforts me to know that God knows all this too. And He wants me to know Him anyways. He overlooked it all because of how amazing He is. And He invites me to dive deeper into it, to trust Him as I wade out into the unknown. And so when God invites you to not be afraid, as the angel did to Joseph, you can be. It's not going to be easy, but you can be unafraid. You can walk out into the messy situation that God is calling you to do. You can trust Him. When His plan in your life doesn't look like you thought it would, when the plan that you made while you were engaged doesn't doesn't look anything at all like your life is now with your two kids, a boy and a girl, with this, you know, um, on its idealistic life, right? When He asks you to stand up for the oppressed and risk being labeled as woke or some social justice warrior just for doing the right thing, when He asks you to trust Him more than your reputation, you can do it. You can be unafraid. You can rest in His love just like Joseph did who accepted His role as the earthly father of Jesus taking His part in God's messy plan. And you may be here today and think, I have no idea where my part in God's plan is. I don't know if I'm doing the right thing. I don't even know what I'm actually really supposed to do. But I would like to know. I have questions about it. I would love to pray for pray for you today. Pray with you. Um, maybe you realize you've drifted away and maybe you feel the need just to repent, turn back to God. I've been there numerous times in my life. Love to pray with you about that or anything else. And our prayer this week is that as we draw closer to Christmas, this final push to the Christmas season, um, that you would experience the love of, of God in your lives. That you would be able to then take that love and show it to those around you. That you would know the joy of the relationship with Him. That you would feel the peace in your heart and would seek to be the peace uh, in your life. That you would know the hope that a relationship with Christ brings. I love Advent. I love celebrating with you guys. And uh, I'm looking forward to what the new year is going to bring. As Sarah comes forward, uh, I'm going to close this out in prayer. Father, thank you so much for Joseph and for his willingness to step into a messy situation that he didn't create and that he had no part of. Thank you for his courage and his love. And I pray you'd help us to emulate those things in our lives this week. Show us where we need to be more loving to those around us, where we need to cultivate peace and where we need to um, experience your joy and hope. And I pray if there are any here in, in, in our congregation here who uh, don't know you, who haven't experienced you know, the forgiveness, the relationship, the new life that Jesus brings. Pray the Holy Spirit would speak to their hearts and help them to understand that need, and that they would repent and believe in the gospel. Thank you so much for everything you've done and for everything you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray.
Hey, thanks for tuning in. We uh, hope that this was a blessing or an encouragement to you. If you uh, have any questions or comments, concerns about uh, what you've heard, uh, feel free to reach out to us. You can email us at hopechurchrc at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok at hopechurchrc, and you can message us on all those platforms. Or you can find our website at hopechurchrc.org and uh, fill out the contact form on there. Um, Anyways, we pray this was a blessing and encouragement to you. And uh, we pray that you just have a wonderful Christmas and uh, that you would experience the love and the joy, the peace and the hope that uh, God brings and offers to you this Christmas season. Peace.